Hello, and welcome to Prophecy Girls, a Buffy rewatch podcast. I'm Kara Babcock, pronouns she, her. And I'm Stephanie Chow, pronouns she, her. Join us each week as we break down every episode of Buffy the Vampire Slayer from the beginning. This is a spoiler-free podcast. Whether you're watching for the first time or longtime fans like us, we'll be analyzing every episode, character, and storyline like it's our first time, too. During this rewatch, we'll reminisce about our memories of Buffy, discuss the show's cultural impact, and provide honest commentary on the show from a 21st century lens. Thanks for listening. Now, on to the episode. Season 4, Episode 10, Hush. Hush. We've arrived at last (laughs) to this episode. This is a good episode. Likely, probably one of the best Buffy episodes that there are. It's certainly well regarded, right? Like if you ask somebody to name their favorite episode, this is, and if you were to guess what somebody's favorite episode is, you would be good guessing this one this is one of those couple of episodes that always makes the top five lists right and i think it deserves that i this is a really good episode for several reasons obviously because it is such a different episode and i i like that the series was willing to do these kinds of experiments because it's maybe a little bit more common these days but back in the early 2000s Shows were so formulaic, and it was always lovely to see a series depart from the formula. So it's an experimental episode. But on top of that, it's so good because, yeah, Joss, we didn't have this idea. But the cast and the crew make it work, right? The physical acting is so powerful in this episode the costuming and makeup design for the monsters um the way that they're portrayed how they move around the score the music everything about this episode yeah it, it comes together and that's what i think is special about this episode is you know you have episodes here and there where one element stands out this episode Everybody brought their A-game. Yeah, it really succeeds as an experiment. And from my readings, like Joss Whedon had been known, like and Buffy had been known for the witty dialogue, right? The snappy one-liners that these characters give out written by Joss Whedon. That's what the show is getting known for. So Joss, you know, said that he wanted to challenge himself and see if he could make an episode of Buffy the Vampire Slayer without that trademark dialogue and make it as well-known, and he did succeed at that. And uh, just a little trivia, this is the only episode in the entire series to be nominated for an Emmy Award in Outstanding Writing for a Drama Series, which is funny because, you know, there isn't a lot of dialogue at all in this episode. At least half of it is silent. So just really, really Mm -hmm. interesting that not only was this episode recognized for the experiment and the success of the experiment, but also that this is the only Buffy episode to ever get nominated. Are you kidding me? Like, ooh. I mean, the Emmys have infamously, the Emmys have ignored science fiction and fantasy TV shows. They don't like genre shows. You know, give them the soaps, give them the procedurals, they'll eat it up. But, you know, a lot of science fiction shows, even nowadays, 
Like Orphan Black. Come on. Come on, Emmys. What are you well, doing with your life? Stranger Things, though. Stranger Things got a lot of attention. Do you watch Stranger Things? I do not. Oh, you should. It's so good. Um, the thing about this episode, what I really liked in this rewatch is because it's been a couple years, but I obviously know this episode very well, probably watched it more than the year average episode. Uh, I caught so many new things as this rewatch does for us, Kara. I just, I caught things I never picked up on before. The first one was the sexual vibes of this episode. This episode is super horny. There's so many <laughs> horny jokes in this episode. I mean, that's true for a lot of Buffy. It, it is, but this episode, like, it, it just, like, it was right there on display in many ways, and we'll talk about it. And then also the fact that this episode's clearly about communication, and you, that might go without saying, right? But it, it's something that really caught my attention this time around was what the episode is really saying about the way these characters mm -hmm. talk to each other. Well, if you didn't pick up on that stuff, then don't worry. The episode helps you because it opens up with Buffy in psychology. <laughs> and what's the topic of Professor Walsh's lecture today? Communications. And uh, it's true. Buffy's in her only and favorite class, psychology. <laughs> and uh, Professor Walsh is saying that communication is about inspiration. Not the idea, but the moment before the idea, when it's total, when it blossoms in your mind and connects to everything. I was like, whoa, Professor Walsh, I don't even know what you're talking about anymore. And she's saying, um, it's about the thought and experiences that we don't have a word for. And Buffy is checking out Riley while Walsh is giving this lecture. And then Walsh says, Buffy Summers, like, come up to the front of the class for a demonstration. And what she makes Buffy do must be illegal. <laughs> like, come on. <laughs> yeah, I mean, that's why, you know, I'm just like, okay, this has to be a dream or something, Surely. right? Because she, I don't know, Buffy's standing next to her and she's like, look at her, like a typical american college girl and then she's like go lie on my desk it's like, <laughs> wow okay so buffy lies down on this massive wooden desk in the lecture theater in front of like hundreds of people it looks like this class has <laughs> never been more full and then what does she do with riley well she tells riley um uh, like she tells riley to oblige and she calls him a good boy <laughs> and riley goes up and starts feeling up on Buffy. And Buffy's like, this is really strange. And he's like, don't worry. I kiss you. I'll make the sun. It'll make the sun go down. And <laughs> what is that line? So at this point, I think we know this, this is likely a dream. I, to, to be honest, Kara, I didn't realize it was a dream until the lights actually did go down. <laughs> I thought this was happening. Yeah. I, I mean, the moment that we got <laughs> Riley sexually harassing a student in the, in the class, I'm like, yeah, even Professor Walsh wouldn't go this far. So it's got to be a dream. But even his weird dream sentence wasn't as bad as the sentence he left us at in something blue, where he said, you're going to teach me. <laughs> like, this is better than dream that. Dream Riley is far more suave than real Riley. True. So they kiss, they make out. Ooh, this is the first time we're seeing them make out, even if it is in a dream. And then we hear like the wind whooshing and the sun does go down and the class is empty now. And Riley says, see, and Buffy gets up and says, fortune favors the brave. And then they hear singing and Buffy follows the singing into the hall and it's a little girl and she's holding this brown box and she's singing a little ditty. And I didn't have to write it down in my notes card because I know it by heart because I've been singing this, this little jingle my whole life, well, since I saw this episode, because it gets stuck in my head, and it goes, can't even shout, 
can't even cry. The gentlemen are coming by. Looking in windows, knocking on doors. They need to take seven and they might take yours. Can't call the mom, can't say a word. You're gonna die screaming, but you won't be heard. And that's my ringtone, so. (laughs) (laughs) Very cheery. (laughs) But the thing is, it's always creepy when a little kid is singing. This girl isn't really that young. And actually, they don't really explain the little girl ever. Or why it's a little girl. I think the well, it's a prophecy dream, right? Yeah. So the little girl is the princess that uh, we, we learn about later, but she's also Buffy. Uh, well, I mean, she looks like she's wearing what Buffy was wearing in I'll Remember You in the last scene. So. <laughs> You're still not over that, Never. Right? Never. Okay, so Buffy's like, that's weird. And then Riley touches Buffy's shoulder, and she turns around, and it's a creepy, waxy, grinning man! So scary. And Buffy wakes up because she was dreaming in class and and the class is packing up. It's over. And Willow's telling her, like, what an exciting class, huh? The last 20 minutes was a revelation. Just laid out everything we need to know for the final. I'd hate to miss that. And Buffy's like, yeah, yeah, yeah. Like, did I snore? And and as they leave, uh, Buffy said that her dream was intense. And Riley comes up behind them and he's like, seems like you were peaceful. (laughs) So... Willow leaves them. He's like, I'm going to leave you guys alone. As they walk away, Willow is like so cute. She she like lingers with her book up so she can watch them walk and have a little conversation. She's like really invested in Buffy and Riley right now. Or I guess Biley? Ruffy? (laughs) Like what's their name? It's a good question. What is the Riley-Buffy ship? I mean, maybe there isn't one because nobody ships them. Literally no one has and ever will but i guess we can start it and i'm gonna say ruffy because it's fun to say (laughs) so ruffy are walking outside and buffy is saying that she has to patrol that night and i was like buffy once again like are you're the worst at keeping your secret and she tries to cover it up by saying petroleum homework (laughs) and buffy said and then riley says he's grading papers that night both of you lies you're lying <laughs> so they're as they're about to part ways they they're gonna kiss Ooh, they're gonna kiss but as riley's leaning in uh buffy says what papers and uh, like grading like what papers are you grading because like all we have is the final left and riley's just like oh, late papers and then the moment's ruined and they're awkward and they separate and buffy says fortune favors the cre- the brave and we cut to credits. Uh, Buffy is on the phone with Giles. Giles is at his place. And he's telling him, she's telling him about the song she heard. She probably sang it just like I just sang it. And Giles is saying, well, that sounds familiar, but it could, you know, yeah, it could be a prophetic dream, right? Or the eternal mystery that is your mind. But he'll look into it. I'm like, I'm really glad Giles is looking into it because remember back in like living conditions, when Buffy said she was dreaming things, and they're just like, yeah, right. <laughs> they don't yeah, believe I, her. I, I, I think it's pretty clear this is a prophecy dream, um, which is nice. I, we haven't had one of these in a while. Spike is walking around behind Giles in the kitchen because I guess they no longer worry about Spike being tied up. And he's asking, Giles is asking Spike if he's ever heard of the gentleman. And Spike says, no, but we're out of Weedabix. Weedabix. And Giles is like, well, that's because you ate it all. And Spike's like, get more. And Giles is like, I thought you vampires were supposed to eat blood. And Spike says that he crumbles up the Weetabix into the blood because it gives it texture. 
So are we to infer that Spike and Giles are just roomies now? Because Spike's just walking around. He's not tied up anymore. Yeah, absolutely. They're roommates now. Um, I wonder, if, like, is Spike really just not a threat anymore? That they do need to keep him around in case he comes up with more information about the initiative, which he definitely does not have. Like, what is he doing yeah, here still? Just, they should stake him and get it over with. Right? Like, he shouldn't be here anymore. And I also want to add that the fact that he's still eating human food and, like, crumbling it up and putting it into the, the blood and stuff. So my Spike shits more than other vampire theories. <laughs> Is holding up <laughs> two episodes in a row. Uh, so Xander and Anya come in. Well, they're they're on their way in, but they're arguing. Um, and Anya is saying that Xander is using her. She's like, you don't care about what I think. You don't ask about my day. And Xander's like, well, you really did turn into a girl. And Anya's like, see, you make jokes about my pain. You don't care about me at all. And I was like, oh, like, Xander, Xander. The bar is so low. The bar is so low. The least you can do, the human decency that you could show another person is to ask how their day is, right? And to care well, when they're in pain. And, and, and also his comment, like, you really have turned into a girl. Once again, Xander is showing us that misogynistic side of him where it's like, this is what he really thinks of women, right? And when people show you who they are, you should believe them. So, you know... We should believe Xander here. If these are the comments he's making about women, then rather than making excuses for him, we should acknowledge that Xander just doesn't have a very high opinion of women. Well, the fact that he can't, like, she's, like, the, the very lowest of conversations you could have is, hey, how was your day? And he's not doing that. Like, oof. So Xander says he does care about her. And she's like, well, how much? What do I mean to you? And Xander says, we'll talk about it later. Like, he blows her off. So when they enter the house, Anya is still on it. And she says, I think we should talk about it now. And she's like, I don't know how you feel about me. This is not a relationship. You don't need me. All you care about is lots of orgasms. <laughs> so I think it's perfectly fine for Anya to be asking Xander about the status of their relationship and how he's feeling, right? I think in any other world, though, I might caution that she's doing it a bit prematurely because fear itself, right? Halloween um, versus where we were then and where we are now. It's only been a month and a bit, right? So I'd say Anya and Xander have been sleeping together for a month and a half, maybe a little bit longer, maybe a little bit shorter, but not very long. So Sometimes, you know, you might want to wait a little bit longer before you establish these kind of statuses, right? Before you put labels on things. However, she's perfectly in the right to want to know earlier than he does. Well, he, he did call her his girlfriend last time, right? Oh, yeah. In Pangs. Yeah, he did call her his girlfriend. So, she, so he's throwing out these mixed signals. I feel like that label comes with, yeah, it's certain expectations. Like Anya is the one who approached him initially and was like, this is just sex. We're going to, you know, get it out of our systems. But I think she was pretty clear with him about wanting to turn it into a different type of relationship. And yeah, in Pangs, Xander was kind of like, okay, you're my girlfriend now. And yeah, he was suffering from syphilis and smallpox and other diseases at the time. But, you know, I, I think Xander is more the one at fault here. I understand what you're saying about Anya maybe reconsidering her tactics. But at the end of the day, like, she's just trying to figure it out. And she isn't used to being human, right? Yeah. So she's going to be blunt and she's going to make mistakes. And yes, like 
Xander's allowed to get frustrated by that, but it's also like you knew that going into this relationship, right? You knew she's an ex-demon. You knew she's blunt and tactless sometimes, just like your previous girlfriend. Yeah. So you should be aware of Anya's flaws, and you're allowed to get frustrated by them, but you also, you know, that was something you agreed to in this relationship. <laughs> yeah, and, and again, like, it's it's as much as I'm like, whoa, this is a little bit soon, he's been sending out all these mixed signals, so it's okay for her to check on this and be like, well, what what do you want? Like, what do you care? Like, like you know, do I mean something to you? And he shouldn't be blowing that off. He should be taking that seriously. So Spike and Giles are listening in on this. <laughs> and Xander's like, we talked about private conversations and they, they're not private if they're in front of my friends. And Spike's like, we're not your friends. Like, please go on. And Giles is like, please don't. Why are you here? And Xander says, you told me to swing by. And Giles tells Xander that he needs to take Spike for a few days because, and everyone's like, what? <laughs> and Giles says he's got a friend coming to town and he'd like them to be alone. And Anya's like, oh, you mean an orgasm friend? <laughs> And Giles is like, yeah, that's exactly the most appalling thing that you could have said. So this is what I mean. This is a horny episode. Like, Giles is about to get it on. They're talking about orgasms a lot. Xander's saying that he's not going to have Spike roaming around because if he stays with him, he'll have to get tied up again. And Anya's like, well, what about us? What about our romantic evening? And Spike starts protesting, right? He's like, I'm not having these two shag while I'm tied to a chair three feet away. And Giles just looks exasperated. I don't know, Spike. I feel like you'd kind of be into that. <laughs> and Spike just wants to watch Passions. Like, that's all he cares about. Um, we cut to Willow, who's in her Wicca group. And it's a group of maybe like 14 women praying in a circle together. And Willow is looking around like, is are we like, is this all we're doing? Because the leader, it, like her prayer or whatever they're doing, she's saying, we come together, daughters of Gaia, sisters of to the moon. We walk with the darkness, the wolf at our side, through the waterfall of power to the blackest heart of eternity. And then she's like, I think we should have a bake sale. <laughs> he's like, she says she makes an empowering lemon bunt. And then another girl saying that uh, they need to send a message out to the a message of blessing out to the sisters through the guy in newsletter. Like who and who left her the scent of candles dripping all over my women power shrine? <laughs> Is that a common problem at college, Steph? Did people leave scented candles dripping over your woman power shrine all the time? My college experience was nothing like this because A, we weren't allowed pets. B, we weren't allowed to like just make messes wherever we want and destroy the carpets. Uh, and C, or three, whatever I'm counting, we certainly weren't allowed candles or like anything like that, like incense. But like those kind of or things were not allowed. depending on where you went to school, woman power. Or or or, or that. I'm thankfully my college did allow that, but yeah, like <laughs> candles were not allowed. So like these people are privileged. Um, Willow says, hey, this is all good and fun, all right? But, like, are we ever going to try other stuff, you know, like, that a wicked group might be interested in? Like, the wacky notion of spells, conjuring and transmutation. And the one girl is like, then we could all get on our broomsticks and fly around on our broomsticks. <laughs> and the leader of the group was like, certain stereotypes are not very empowering. And there's a blonde girl. There's a blonde girl sitting on the floor. And she starts to say, I think that, and then she's interrupted. And the and the girl says, um, one person's energy can suck the power from the entire circle. No offense. And the blonde girl says again, like, maybe we could. And the other one's like, everyone shut up. Tara, do you have a suggestion? It puts her on the spot. And Tara's clearly a very shy person. And she shakes her head and just smiles. And Willow notices this. Yeah, this this scene made me think about university and college and how, like, 
you leave high school and you hope that the dynamics of the high school cliques are behind you. But the thing about university and college is there's still cliques. It's just you sign up for them now. Yeah, you're you know, not forced you, you into them. You put yourself into that situation. And this is an example of that where it's like you want to socialize. You want to find people who have these same interests as you. But because you're still so young and often you're hopped up on alcohol and you're stressed out because of your school, the group dynamics can be very confrontational or very dysfunctional like we see here. And it's just it's interesting to me that once again, I think Buffy's doing a good job of just capturing that little slice of college life. Yeah. And especially introducing somebody who um, like here, this is Tara. And uh, we're going to meet, learn a little bit more about Tara in this episode. But she's clearly a very shy, non-confrontational person. And the girl in this group took advantage of that, right? And I think Willow notices this. And Willow used to be a lot more like what Tara is showing us right now in her personality. So it's just interesting to see Willow coming forward and being like, we should try this and we should be more, this is, this is my idea, this is my opinion. When before, three years ago, I don't think she would have. Yeah. We cut to Willow telling Buffy about this group, right? And she says, it's all talk, menstrual life force power thingies. <laughs> and she says, there's no actual witches in her witch group. They're a bunch of wanna blessed bees. Ooh, I love that. Salty, Willow. Willow. And they enter their dorm. And Willow is saying that she'd like to float something bigger than a pencil one day. Um, and how are you and Riley? You two seem snugly after class. And Buffy says that they, you know, they talk. They almost kissed. But... And Willow's like, well, come on, I want my vicarious smoochies. And I hate the word smoochies. This is like me with my bestie. We talk on the phone and she tells me all about her dates and, you know, everything that's going on in her sex life. And I have no interest in having, you know, sex myself, but I'm happy to listen to my best friend gossip about her sex life. Yeah, spill the tea, you know, like it's always fun to hear. That's what Willow wants. She's like, I'm not doing anything with anyone right now. So tell me what's up. And Buffy says that she gets nervous and she starts babbling. And then he starts babbling. And it's a babble fest. And Buffy says, like, every time we talk, I have to lie. And that's what her struggle is. So the Slayer thing is going to come up one way or another. And she wishes she could just come clean. Communication. <laughs> Communication is key. And that's when we cut to Riley and Forrest who are having boy talk after working out like men, as men do. <laughs> so I wanted to ask you, Steph. Yeah. Riley, sweaty. Yeah. Thoughts. No, uh, not for me. Forrest actually is pretty, looking pretty cute right now, but um, his personality <laughs> saps me of that feeling. Uh, again, Riley just needs a really good haircut. Like, remember in the initiative when he was sweaty and his hair was pushed back with the sweat? And I was like, okay, okay, okay. <laughs> um, this isn't doing it for me, though. So they're finishing what Buffy just said, right? Buffy said, I wish I could come clean. And Forrest is saying, yeah, well, he can't. Obviously, Riley also wants to come clean to Buffy about being a jockey army man. And Forrest says that this is the burden we bear, brother. We have a gig that would inevitably cause any girl living to think we are cool upon cool. <laughs> wow. Uh, yet we must Clark Kent our way through the dating scene, never to use our unfair advantage. Thank God we're pretty. And Riley says, well, Buffy's special. And Forrest is like, oh, she's special? Wow. First 486 times you told me it didn't register. But now I see that she's special. And Riley says, you're naturally inclined to talk too much. Not for long. And then they enter the elevator and Riley says, Riley Finn, 
into the elevator voice box and Alexa speaks back <laughs> and says, initiative vocal code match complete. So I w- I'm curious, like, why do you think that Buffy babbles so much around Riley? Because I, I think it's it's very Buffy to be quirky around the guys that she's dating. But a part of me feels like she gets babbly whenever they're about to kiss because maybe she's not ready for them to kiss yet. Maybe she's not ready to enter this relationship world because she's been fucked over so much. Well, she definitely hasn't been fucked enough, as we (laughs) realized last episode. (sighs) She also got fucked so much and then forgot about it all, so God. (laughs) (laughs) But Angel remembers. And you remember, Steph. Some wounds will never heal. Some wounds will just never heal. I think you're on to something. I think, yeah, it's just, it's Buffy being Buffy. It's Buffy adjusting to college life. You know, Riley, if if something does start with him, this would be her first college boyfriend. Yeah, it's Buffy being nervous and unsure of herself. And as we've discussed, communication is key. She, every time she talks to him, she knows that if she gets into a relationship with him, she has to lie to him constantly. Yeah. And he might bail. Uh, but then Riley, who we, you and I theorize is, he could possibly be a himbo. He babbles because himbos babble. <laughs> we'll talk more about that later in this episode. <laughs> the himbo conversation continues. So we cut to Xander, who's finished tying Spike to a chair in his basement. <laughs> and he's like, it's just, it's just while I'm sleeping, right? And Spike says, like I'd bite you anyway. And Xander's like, oh, you would. And Spike says, not bloody likely. And Xander's like, says he's, he's very biteable. He's moist and delicious, which made me want to puke. And Spike says, yeah, like you're a nummy treat, like super sarcastically. And Xander then starts to fall asleep, but Spike won't let him because he's just like mimicking Anya. He's like, Xander, don't you care about me? We never talk, Xander. That was a very good Spike as Anya voice. Well, hey, any, any Anya voice... I'm going to (laughs) nail, whether it's coming from Spike or coming from Anyanka herself. Um, Again, it's so funny. Like, why does Spike need to be with you guys at all? At all. Like, he's clearly used up the information. So just, just end it. We cut to Giles, who's studying the gentleman. And clearly to Giles, he's losing his touch because studying and researching the gentleman just means circling the gentleman a couple times. (laughs) And writing seven. It's all that TV that he's been watching this season. <laughs> One piece of paper, just the word gentleman, the, a bit of the song that Buffy gave him. And now he's just like thinking over and over again, staring at the gentleman. And he says, he says, they need to take seven. He's like, I wonder what, like, what seven? Hmm, hmm, hmm. Elective courses. <laughs> seven elective courses. Seven orgasms back in I Will Remember You. (laughs) It's never something fun, right? Like, come on, Giles. You can narrow it down to something awful. (laughs) So uh, there's a knock on the door. And it's Olivia. Hello, Olivia. Good to see you. Haven't seen you since the freshman. She's looking lovely as ever. And she said she just got off the flight. And there's literally no time for small talk. They start getting it on immediately. Yes, Giles, get some. Giles, get it. Also, can we just marvel at the fact that Olivia apparently flew from England to get some of that Giles dick? Can you blame her, Steph? It must be amazing. I mean, there was never a doubt in my mind, but she flew 
I don't know how long it takes to fly there from England. Seven hours. <sighs> First Jenny calendar. You know, yeah. there was quite an age gap there. Yep. Now we got Olivia. I don't know Olivia's last name, but yeah, like she's clearly enamored with Giles. And we and Joyce got a ride as well. <laughs> oh so. yes, Giles, such a player. And Damn. unlike Xander, though. He actually respects his dates. Yeah, he does. He, he wanted to ask her how her flight was, and she was like, no time, put it in. So good for them. We cut to a clock tower or a building. Um, I, I figure because the school's clock tower got blown up. <laughs> they, every place in Sunnydale must have a bell tower. <laughs> It's a bylaw. It's very strange, yeah. but so long. Waxy finger hands um, are placing a brown box that we saw in Buffy's dream onto a table. It opens it up, and we hear like whispering, and um, it cuts to like this kid who's asleep in his bed, and it, like a white thing flies out of his mouth, as it does it for an old man, and then Giles and Olivia, and then Buffy and Willow. So we know what this is, right? This is their voices being taken out of their bodies and put into the box. Um, it was very Prince of Egypt to me, very like Moses, like when that happened in that movie. But like, if you are watching the show for the first time, like, do you think it's obvious they're taking their voices? Like, what do you think it could be otherwise? If not, like, what do you, like, what could it be? <laughs> their souls? Could be, yeah, it could be taking their souls. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, and I was like, because the gentlemen kind of look like dentists to me, like Victorian dentists, I was like, they could be taking cavities <laughs> they could be taking bad breath like we don't know that, that that doesn't seem like a bad thing i i would prefer that over the normal way my dentist deals with cavities like these men are actually coming here the gentlemen are coming to sunnydale to fix everyone's teeth <laughs> to fight gingivitis <laughs> have you seen their teeth <laughs> right i mean that well their teeth is all like what metal <laughs> yeah i i don't know i i I want dentists to have good teeth. If I have a dentist with bad teeth, I'm not going to that dentist. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Well, we see who... So what we're talking about is once all the uh, white smoke voices are put into this box, it's closed by one of these creatures from Buffy's dream. And yeah, they're so scary looking. They have like... They're like skeletons, but they have waxy skin, like dark eyes, and they're grinning. And they're like giant metal teeth. So clearly dentists, all dentists look like this underneath their masks. <laughs> Don't be fooled. <laughs> so the next morning, Buffy's getting out of bed. She's, you know, does her typical thing, right? Like very typical morning routine because you don't really talk that much in the morning right so buffy goes to the bathroom and she like she's brushing her teeth and like we hear it all very loudly brushing her teeth loudly the toilet flushes loudly the water's running loudly then when on her way back to her room there's a girl sobbing in the hallway and buffy's like well all right and then buffy goes inside and willow's just waking up and buffy says good morning but it's inaudible and willow says hey and there's also no sound so buffy's trying again to like make noise out of her mouth and it's not happening so she's getting alarmed and then she mouths to willow like can you hear me and willow's like no and then willow thinks she's gone deaf <laughs> and buffy says no and like it's gonna be hard this is gonna be a really funny podcast because we gotta explain what they're doing in their actions and buffy's gesturing that she thinks that they can't speak and buffy goes out to the hallway and she sees that all these other people are in the hallway and no one can speak they're all freaking out so 
<laughs> this is where chaos starts to hit. Uh, Xander wakes up. I don't know how he realized right away that he couldn't talk. Maybe he said something to Spike and it didn't come out. But <laughs> Xander jumps out of bed and he's freaking out because he can't speak. And behind him, we can see Spike also trying to speak. <laughs> um, and Xander turns around and points at Spike. And you can tell from his, what he's mouthing. is like, you did this to me. <laughs> and Spike like... Get, I don't know. It looks like a backwards peace sign to me. It must be like the equivalent of the middle finger. Yes, that's the British equivalent of the middle finger. Um, the origin story I've been told, I don't ever... I, this is my problem is I never re remember which stories are apocryphal or not. Mm -hmm. um, so one of our English listeners could write in and tell me if I'm correct because I'm not going to look it up right now. But the story I've been told is that English archers would uh, flip that sign at... The French during one of England's inevitable conflicts with France, um, because when the French would capture an English archer, um, because England was renowned for uh, how the the armies they raised of common people would be trained in archery, uh, whenever the French captured an English archer, they would cut off his middle two fingers so that he couldn't draw a bow anymore. Mm. So by giving that sign, you're showing that both of your fingers are still intact. <laughs> and, uh, you know, it's this little, like, uh, jibe at the French. So, yeah, it's Ooh. the British version of the middle finger. It's quite um, quite a rude gesture. But, of course, to Americans, it doesn't necessarily mean the same thing. <laughs> History with Kara. Thank you for that. Um, <laughs> so Xander picks up the phone and calls Buffy. <laughs> and okay, so I at first actually know what I thought first off. I thought it's actually kind of sweet and typical of Xander that he when he panics, he calls Buffy, right? That's the first person he calls when he's when there's a problem. Um but I was also like like god Xander, you're such an idiot. If <laughs> you can't talk, you can phone her. Um so Buffy answers the phone though, and then <laughs> while Willow's checking her tonsils in the mirror. And um yeah, like no sound because they can't talk. So then they can't text each other. It's not like it's now where we just text. Yeah, I was thinking that this episode, you know, if we're talking about how this episode has aged in the years since it came out, this would be a very different episode if we had texting. Yeah. Because these days, like can you imagine, Steph, if this just happened to us? We would still freak out, but we just text everybody every anyway. Yeah, it's true. I would probably still be told to report to work. <laughs> Most of my students don't talk. They just type in the chat anyway. Right? You can easily... Like, I don't think it would affect too much of life, to be honest. And like even for work, like emails and stuff, like I can go a whole day without talking to anyone if I had to. So Riley and Forrest are in their frat and you know obviously no one can talk in there so they rush to the elevator and the camera's following them it's like really intense right like, it's like, like obviously there's a rush there's like um a worry in the way that they're filming the scene um there's a retinal scan that's accepted and as they're going down Forrest has a notepad and he writes it's all over town so the elevator stops and alexa's voice comes back on she's like vocal code not accepted please state your name for vocal identification unauthorized beings will be considered hostile and i was like who is this jeff <laughs> <laughs> lower beings will be considered hostile. Please commence vocal identification in the next 20 seconds to avoid countermeasures. And Riley first tries breathing into the speaker. Then... Come on, Riley. Riley. Then he tries to put his code in, but he can't remember his code. And Forrest is writing on his notepad, like, come on, come on. Ah, ah. 
<laughs> Way to put pressure on somebody in writing for us. Like, <laughs> and Alexa's like, lethal measures engaged. And the yellow smoke starts like coming out of the floor. And I'm like, that, that can't be good. And then suddenly the doors open and Professor Walsh and her people are standing there. And they look so annoyed. And she points at a sign and leaves. And then uh, the sign says, in case of emergency, use stairway. And this is just another pair of idiots, <laughs> right? Like, just... Exactly. So we, we cut to Tara, who's walking in the student lounge where people are crying and hugging and it's silent almost. And a man drops what I thought looked like a ginger ale bottle, but like it was glass, which is like incredible. Um, and it startles everyone. Everyone's afraid of that. And I actually wondered to myself, because um, Tara takes it in and then leaves, but I wondered to myself and I was like, does Tara even know what's going on? She doesn't seem like someone who talks that much. <laughs> So, but she can't hear anybody. She can't hear anybody, but it's like I think this is the first time she's noticed something is weird where she like comes in and it's silent, right? And she's like, what the? And like, she probably doesn't know. So, downtown Sunnydale, where people are just wandering aimlessly, they're sitting on benches, they're running or they're crying, and sirens are going, and people are reading from revelations, and they're on the streets, and a guy is selling message boards for $10. Aboard, and I was like, "Up the price, my guy!" Like, hey, hey ten dollars went a lot farther back in that day. Steph. I guess you're it right. Twenty twenty two. I'd have been like twenty five a pop. You know what I'm saying? So, so, wait, sorry, just a quick question though about this guy. Where did he get those message boards from? Did he just happen to be the guy who had a bunch of message boards? <laughs> and when he woke up and realized what was happening, he's like. Today is my day, finally. <laughs> it's my time to shine. <laughs> Everyone was mad at me for my message board business. <laughs> no one believed in me. <laughs> Take that, Suzanne. <laughs> Fuck you, mom and dad. I had a dream. Um, if I was this man, if I was this man, I would follow the gentleman town to town. <laughs> He summoned them to Sunnydale. That's why this happened. <laughs> or they're in cahoots. <laughs> he lost his wife and his kids because he invested his last money into this message board business and it was failing. So you, what do you do? You're in Sunnydale. So, of course, you find a book of spells. You're on the hellboat. <laughs> and you see this spell for making the town quiet for a day. You don't realize you're going to be sacrificing, you know, whatever the gentlemen want to uh, power this spell. You just want to sell your message. Boards. Right. He's like, you know, mark my words. One day classrooms around the world will be using whiteboards, not chalkboards. And they're like, get out of here, Mark. <laughs> you radical. <laughs> oh, yeah. He like goes on Dragon's Den. Gets shouted at by Kevin O'Leary. So, yeah, this episode is really just an introduction to the true big bad of the season, which is Mark, the whiteboard Anybody guy. Anybody who writes Buffy fanfic, write us a fanfic about this guy. Yeah. So, hey, you know what? I'm glad that he's found a niche for himself. You know, no one believed in him. And look at him now. So this is a success story if I've ever seen one. So we enter Giles' apartment. Anya, Xander, Olivia, and Giles are all watching TV there, and it's so sweet. Giles puts his hand on Buffy's shoulder, like, hi, like, it's, I don't know, like, it, do you feel like this is, like, extra? <laughs> like, I get that, you know, everyone can't talk, but, like, the way they're acting, it's, like, very Armageddon. Like, it's a very, 
it's serious. Yeah, it's meant to be. Yeah. Everything about this episode is exaggerated, right? Yeah. Their physical acting is exaggerated, which I love. The way they talk, um, you know, when they were on set, I, I was thinking, like, did they actually talk and then they just muted the recording? But the way that the diegetic sounds are, um, I don't think that's what they did. I think they were actually miming the so entire do I. time, yeah, which I think is harder than speaking, right? Because you have to enunciate so that people can see what you're saying, but not talk. And I wonder how many takes they ruined because the sound accidentally came out of their voice. Or that, like, I mean, the blocking has to completely change, too, because you rely on dialogue to tell you where to go next and all that stuff. So you really have to watch your screen partners. And I think that's exactly why Josh Whedon wanted to do this, right? It's a challenge of directing something like this. It must have been a clusterfuck at first. So... Um, yeah, Giles comforts Buffy and she notices all the books open on his desk. <laughs> He's, she's like, anything, right? And he shakes his head. And Willow, she's like, oh, I have an idea. Ooh, like in, like her, in her motions. And she writes on her whiteboard, hi, Giles. <laughs> and Giles comes and hugs her too. So sweet. It's really sweet. It, this reminds me of high school days and coming to the library. Yeah, and like figure things out together. But so it is very cute. But it's funny. Like, do you think that Giles and... Giles is also Willow's stand-in father because we know that Giles is Buffy's surrogate father. But can he also be Willow's or is it a different vibe? Giles is everybody's dad. Giles is our dad. He's my daddy, if you know what I mean. <laughs> He's Olivia's daddy oh, too. <laughs> so Xander gets their attention by snapping his fingers and they turn the TV up and there's a news anchor on there. And he's like, Sunnydale has been quarantined due to the epidemic of laryngitis. The town has been rendered unable to speak. No word yet what might have caused this or what other effects might be seen from this epidemic. Local authorities have issued a written statement blaming recent flu vaccinations. A few skeptics call it a citywide hoax. Sunnydale has effectively shut down. All schools and businesses will be closed for the time being. Residents are advised to stay home and rest up. The Centers for Disease Control ordered the entire town quarantined. No one can go in or out until the syndrome is identified or the symptoms disappear. More on this story as it develops. And we do have a really quick hot stake from Manji who says, uh, is this the, the birth of the anti-vaxxer movement? Like this episode, blaming lost voices on flu vaccine. <laughs> and that made me laugh. Well, this episode is a couple of years after the Andrew Wakefield paper that kind of kicked off the modern anti-vax movement, the whole vaccines cause autism thing. Mm -hmm. But uh, I mean, the anti-vax movement has been with us for as long as we've had vaccines. It's so. wild how these words, you know, quarantine, epidemic, right? Like the, these words, vaccination, they just mean so many different things to me now than they ever would every other time I've watched this episode. Like they, it's like, oh. Do you know where the word quarantine comes from? Where? So back in the days of the Black Death, um, the city-state of Venice in what is now Italy would require ships that had a case of the Black Death on it to stay docked um, in the harbor for 40 days. And in Italian, that is, um, I don't know how to pronounce it, like carante or something, right? Like in French. Um, so that's the origin of the word quarantine was the ships would have to stay docked 
uh, well away from the city for 40 days until they can prove that nobody was sick. So interesting. Hmm. Look at you, little history major. Not actually a history major. <laughs> no, I am. <laughs> but I don't know any of that. Um, Buffy writes on her whiteboard, keep researching, I should be in town tonight. And Giles Mel's, why? And we cut to Walsh, who's using like the Stephen Hawkins... <laughs> Like computer sound, a computer voice to give orders to the initiative and Riley and the boys. And she's saying, uh, because there will be chaos, like that's like what it sounds like to me. Um, you will keep order, dress as civilians, a military presence will only increase panic. And R- Riley writes, what is happening? And Walsh types out, we are looking into it. Go help maintain order. We will find an answer. <laughs> She's just giving him something to do. Right. I, I, do, I do want to talk at this point in the episode, now that we've seen like this device that Walsh is using to communicate, we've seen people writing on the message boards and stuff. Um, if we want to look at this episode through a disability lens, this is a good example of how when something that we consider to be a disability strikes a larger portion of the population, we're much faster to introduce accommodations and assistive devices. We saw this during the pandemic, right? When the when our whole society locked down, suddenly video meetings, um, virtual events, these things all became normal and much more accessible. And so people who previously had trouble leaving their homes to go to work or to attend social events had their world opened up for them because suddenly, you know, video conferencing software improved. Um, and those software companies really focused on like better live closed captions and stuff. So accessibility got better. And now that things are opening up again, there's this conversation of like, well, as we go back to the quote unquote new normal, you know, can we make sure that we don't leave behind disabled people, immunocompromised people and, you know, it just makes me think about how we should be thinking about these people all the time in our society, right? Mm-hmm. Like we need to make our society more accessible for deaf people or for people who are mute for whatever reason. Um, and we have to some extent, because like you and I were discussing earlier, we're a very text friendly world these days, but at the same time, it's like, you know, there are situations <laughs> where we rely on oral communication. Uh, and there's situations now where it's like, hmm, like, could we make these assistive, assistive devices even better? So I just wanted to raise that topic uh, as we discuss this episode, because this is an episode that basically kind of makes use of the trope of like a, a temporary mass disability. And as interesting and as good as it is, there's also, you know, that potential for problematic elements to it as well. Yeah, really great point. Um, one that I've never heard focused on this episode before. Well, yeah, I think it's less about the episode. I think it's more about like the episode makes me think about how we as a society adapt to these events versus not adapting when it's an individual who has these requirements. So true. So true. So we cut to the streets where a car is driven into a fountain because when you can't talk, you just drive, <laughs> you just drive wild. You just, you stop being able to drive. The end times. <laughs> so 
um, people are still wandering the street because when you can't talk, you just have to wander. And Buffy sees Riley stopping a fight between two men and Riley pushes one guy back and like fixes the other guy's shirt. And Buffy breaks the other guy's wrist because he was going to. <laughs> She's just walking by. And as the guy thrusts his arm up, she breaks his wrist and he drops the knife he's holding. I, I love it. Yeah, me too. So effortless. So funny. So Buffy and Riley hug. And like they do their like their mouth they mouth their like are you okay's and Riley is trying to keep order right so he hears a noise and he's like I have to go he like gestures and um, before they go they look at each other and they kiss because they can't babble anymore so I guess they're gonna they're gonna make out instead so that happened uh, then they leave and now it's like nearly three a.m. because the clock tower showed us that <laughs> and the door opens and holy fuck men these 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 waxy men float out like they're not walking they're floating it's so creepy and they're followed by what looks like a bunch of drunk men in straight jackets uh the music is playing it's awesome they go in pairs like the two men dressed in suits uh the gentlemen very gentlemanly very polite smiling grinning there's like i think eight eight like 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 four pairs um and they take the sights in. It's like they're on a tour because they're like, oh, and like they're not they're not speaking. Obviously, they don't speak, but they are gesturing with their hands and like, ugh, the smiling and the and each pair gets two straight straight jacket guys, and it's creepy. There's so many levels to why these gentlemen are creepy. Yes. They are constantly smiling. They are floating. They're not in any sort of rush. Mm-hmm. It, it, the the music adds to it. Their henchmen add to it. They have these briefcases. Oh, like, it's so eerie. It's so well done. It, it's a very different villain from what we normally get in Buffy, because normally the Buffy villains have been very camp. You know, think about um, Balthazar in his bathtub, <laughs> right? Like, they're villains we can laugh at. Mm-hmm. It's difficult to laugh at the gentleman for the reasons you you outlined. So the way they achieved the floating effect was they would either have a dolly, they would have the gentleman on a dolly and pull the dolly just outside the shop. Or when you want to see their feet floating above the ground, they had the gentleman suspended on wires using a crane and they'd pull them along using the crane and then they would digitally edit out the wires, which is you know pretty good special effects for the early 2000s. Yeah, I agree. Um, and the the tallest gentleman is played by Doug Jones, um, who is an actor that many people would be familiar with. Even if you don't recognize the name, you've seen him in, you know, he's Abe Sapien in the Hellboy movies. Um, He's the the monster character in The Shape of Water. And uh, most recently, like, he's been playing Captain Saru in Star Trek Discovery. So he's really well known for being very tall he and I are actually the same height. <laughs> I looked it up. I'm like, how tall is Doug Jones? Doug Jones is 1.92 meters or six foot four, just like Kara. And he's very like skinny and he's got this kind of skeletal frame and he's got very long limbs. Um, and especially if, if they like put him in platforms or something, it's just he's so tall on screen and he's very well known for doing prosthetic roles. So like most of his roles, you wouldn't recognize him except for his gangly appearance because he's in heavy makeup. But that's, that's, I think, what lends the gentleman this really, like, 
scary embodied quality is, you know, they are slightly out of proportion. They're skinny and gangly. And he's the creepiest one. Like he's the main yeah. one who's the creepiest. And like it's their 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 forever grins. Like I I don't know if you ever watched it, but like Attack on Titan is an anime I watch and he look they look like titans. It's so creepy. Hmm. So yeah, so they're floating around Sunnydale. They're we don't know what they're doing. They're just they're floating around and look taking in the town. And Giles and Olivia have just finished banging and they're sleeping, but Olivia can't sleep. So she gets up and she puts a robe on. She goes downstairs. And as she's downstairs, she hears a metallic like a, a metal clinking, a metallic clinking. So she looks out the window. Across the courtyard, she sees a gentleman far off and she kind of like squints. She's like, what is that? And then BOOM! Like one gentleman passes right in front of her, in front of the window, and sees and her. And he looks at her. Oh, it is so scary. I was like, holy shit. <laughs> Nightmare fuel. Two more gentlemen are entering this white picket fenced area. And um, I got teacher's pet flashbacks because remember <laughs> when, when that um, uh, razor finger vampire was after Buffy briefly? <laughs> Oh, yeah. And she killed it on the white picket fence. I was like, is this a callback to that? Um, anyway, there one of them is in that neighborhood. And then we cut to the two other gentlemen with the the the, the famous one that we were just talking about. They they floated the five miles to Sunnydale <laughs> campus. <laughs> and they enter the residences. They got in, they got swipe cards. <laughs> and they <laughs> go by each room number and like they don't speak right but in my head they're like oh no 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 like oh no well my theory is they're telepathic so yes that is what their voices sound like in their heads (laughs) and no 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 yes as they float around and it appears that they float right by buffy and willow's room they must be looking for a room with like a single room (laughs) and they can just tell um so this this is sad. This is actually quite sad. They stop at room one one eight, and um, the the guy gestures to it, and it's like yes, like this is the one. <laughs> so they knock on the door, and the poor soul it's a it's a male student gets out of bed and answers the door. And when he answers it, there's a gentleman. He and he's like, oh, what the fuck? But he can't say it because he's got a voice, right? So the straight jacket men grab him push him onto the bed and he is screaming right but can't be heard so the gentlemen float in and they're like yes yes and they open up their briefcases and they take out a surgeon knife or a scalpel and the one guy's like you and he's like oh here you are and they like share it with each other and then they you can you can tell that they start cutting into the guy because you can hear like the squelching my lord it's scary it's scary so we cut back to the clock tower where there are now three fresh jars, three fresh hearts inside jars next to the box. And all the gentlemen are sh- applauding their hard work that night. <laughs> and, you know, the one of them is like showing them the hearts and they're all like, ooh, and he's like, stop, stop, it's you. <laughs> just this little thing, you know. I just found this. Um, you like it? Like it's that's how they sound like to me. So the next morning, <laughs> Buffy is ooh. The next morning, okay, this is weird. People are openly weeping in the halls, and there's a janitor or somebody trying to keep people out of the open room. The door is just open, and the janitor's trying to keep kids out of it. And Buffy just walks right in. 
where are the police? And um, it's this is this made me laugh because Buffy's looking around like, what is in here? What is in here? And then she takes in the dead corpse. And I was like, you would see that right away. <laughs> it's really funny that Buffy's just looking at the floor first and then she sees it. Oh, no. So <laughs> we cut to Giles's and Giles is reading the newspaper, which printed a story about these slaughters incredibly quickly yeah like what's the printing deadline for the morning paper in sunnydale because this was happening <laughs> during the nighttime it was well after dark like what's the print do they print the papers like it's literally hot off the presses does Charles live next to the printing <laughs> or is it like noon <laughs> Like, what's going on? Also, po- I mean, possibly Mark, the whiteboard guy, tipped off the newspapers to get a little extra cash, if you know what I mean. <laughs> oh, Mark. This is classic Mark. Mark is a maverick when it comes to making money. You might say he just wanted to make his mark. Oh, shit. I love that pun. Good for you. So, um... The newspaper says brutal slayings that shock silent community. It hasn't had time to shock silent community yet, newspaper. <laughs> it's, it's, it's been like three well, hours. It will now that you've told them. <laughs> because it looks, like if they, kill, they left at 3 a.m., right? Maybe take like two hours to do their work, come back. So it's like 6 a.m. now. Like There's no time. There's no time. So another headline says a 15 year old girl was brutally stabbed and her heart is missing as well so olivia has drawn the gentleman that she saw in the window and she did a really good job it's like exact it's like exactly what she saw and i had to make a note here because i was like angel cordelia giles olivia there's so many good drawers in this group of friends (laughs) so giles runs to the bookcase and he pulls out fairy tales so we cut to the best scene in this episode and it's when all the Scoobies are in the psychology lecture hall and Giles has turned on the projector and he's created a slideshow for them using slides. Wait, using, what are they called? Those transparencies, transparencies. I see. I don't even remember the name of them because it's been so long since I've used them. this uh, This is another way in which the show hasn't aged very well. These days, Giles would have created a slick PowerPoint. Oh, with the starbursts and the slippery slides <laughs> from slide to slide. <laughs> He'd put Evanescence music to it. <laughs> um, I just, lots of things to say about the scene. What I love about it is the drawings. Again, like I said earlier, like everyone can draw. We've seen in the past, all these people can draw stuff. Like Giles drew the initiative guy. Angel's an accomplished sketcher. Cordelia drew the fish this, monsters this and go fish. This is all Mark wanted. Mark just wanted to bring out everybody's inner artist. God, you know? this man, we need more of Mark the whiteboard guy. Um, <laughs> so here, what I love about the scene is that Giles, his little drawings that he's had done to accompany his explanation of what the gentlemen are, like so unnecessary, truly unnecessary, but we appreciate that he did it. It really tells us what we need to know i think he should have made it as a flip book though oh a flip book or <laughs> or like a pop-up book <laughs> so uh he has the time I and mean, he's not employed <laughs> if the newspaper can can find out all of these horrific murders and print well, about it in three you, hours you have to remember he is spending 90 percent of his day bonking olivia oh yes and what a lucky woman she is where is she she's probably recovering from all the sex they had the night before um so and also wait wait how did giles tell everybody to meet him in the psychology lab 
Did he go door to door? Did he collect them yeah, one they must by have one? Reconvened. Yeah, I hope so. Um, so he puts on music. Actually, he puts on dance, da, 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 dance macabre. Dance macabre. Is that how you say it? <laughs> say say the name of the of the song for me, Cara. I can't say it. Dance macabre <laughs> by Camille Saint Saints. <laughs> Camille, but yeah, yeah. So. Anyway, for all of our listeners who follow us on TikTok, these this is the song that I use for my hot steaks when I do them. So um, he puts I thought this, it sounded familiar. That's where I got it from. So he, I love that he adds atmosphere by adding the intense music. Love it. Um, so he puts the first page up. It's backwards. And Anya's eating popcorn. <laughs> well, Giles is loving this. He's in his element, right? This is a callback to his library days. And for once, none of these upstart youngins can interrupt him. Oh, it's so true with their, like, stupid quips. <laughs> I mean, they managed to do it anyway. But I love that Anya's eating popcorn and she's like, you know, she like turned the thing around. <laughs> well, she's very into this, right? Yeah. Because she's still like from her demon days. Like, this is normal, right? She's like, yeah, like they're taking hearts. Like, excellent. I, I, I like also to believe that she probably she probably knows about the gentleman and she just like is keeping to it to herself. So the first slide says, who are the gentlemen? The next one says, they are fairy tale monsters. <laughs> the next one says, what do they want? And then Willow starts pointing at her chest, right? She's like, the chest, the chest. And Xander mouths, boobies? <laughs> and like, no, Xander. But this is what I mean. Like, this episode's just horny. It's got a lot of these kind of like crude sexual jokes um giles slide uh next slide says hearts and he's like drawn like actual like shape of a heart <laughs> not like your human heart um and his next slide says they come to a town they steal all the voices no so no one can scream then and then he has one slide dedicated to then <laughs> He's such a good storyteller. Um, He's timing it really well, too. Yeah, because the music's hitting the crescendo. And um, the next picture, <laughs> this made me laugh. The next picture is just one of the gentlemen stabbing the shit out of a person. And there's like, he used a red marker to emphasize the blood. And then the next picture is <laughs> them holding up the heart. <laughs> above the bloody body very, proud. <laughs> very happy <laughs> they're like standing around being like <laughs> I, I know nobody can see me but they're like pro, like they're um giving a claim to the gentleman who's holding the heart <laughs> and then it says the next the next slide says they need seven and they have at least two and xander writes how do we kill them and um buffy starts jerking her hand up and down right and it looks like she's given someone a hand job likely angel <laughs> oh my god <laughs> I, I do have a comment, maybe a question. That looks like Buffy's not very good at doing hand jobs. Well, she's not giving a hand job. <laughs> that's, not, that's like. <laughs> okay, that's fair. Yeah. I'm just saying, like, I feel like if that's how Buffy does a hand job, maybe there's a reason that she's still, you know. Single. <laughs> how dare you? Buffy gives very gentle hand jobs. It's just that she's trying to mimic staking. <laughs> And everyone's looking at her. Even Giles' face is priceless. Where he's like, what the it's fuck? true. Giles' face is the best of all. Of them because the way the lighting is, yeah. you know, that is very much an Anthony Stewart head face of just like, he's like, what? Like, what the fuck, right? Like, I feel like if we were to take that, that frame, 
and splice it into anything else, that would be the reaction. (laughs) I know. So Buffy pulls a steak out of her purse and she like mimics staking something, right? And they're like, oh, oh, oh. And like, it's so funny because Willow is like, oh my God. Everybody is horny in this room. And and Buffy, like, she's like, oh my God. And Giles' next slide says... um, in the tales, no sword can kill them. And the next slide says, the princess screamed once and they all died. So Willow pulls out a CD from her um, purse and she like mimics dying. <laughs> and Giles' next slide says, only a human voice. He's been very good at anticipating the questions. Yeah, from the he's audience. such a good teacher. He's such a good right? teacher. Yeah. Also, I like how the slide that says no sword can kill them has a drawing of one of the gentlemen who's like, pierced by a bunch of swords but he's smiling he's okay <laughs> i know so buffy writes how do i get my voice back and giles like shrugs he doesn't know and um he puts up a drawing of buffy and then <laughs> says buffy will patrol tonight and i have this uh on a t-shirt it, this of mine is the iconic drawing of the whole series it's so funny and because buffy's reaction to it is she's like <laughs> because because she's like she's like look at how wide you drew my hips <laughs> Uh, yeah, I think I think it's more like the whole silhouette, right? It's like a, a straight, uh, a block. slightly lo- wider body. Yeah, right? yeah. <laughs> of all the art to criticize, right? <laughs> so funny. So 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 Giles points to the other Scoobies, right? And he's like holding up the books, as in like, okay, we're gonna research Buffy patrols. And Kara, like, what fairy tale is this? Did they make it up for the show? They must have. I mean, there are you know a lot of stories in European folklore about people. Stealing children, stealing children's hearts. I wanted to bring this up too. The design of the gentleman slightly reminds me of Der Kinderstadt mm-hmm. from back in season two. The suit? Yeah, like the, black the suit, suit and just kind of the overall appearance, the interaction with like children or I guess young single college men. Um, <laughs> I don't know. Again, I just feel like I don't think this is done on purpose. But once more, maybe Joss Whedon's demonstrating a little bit of a insensitivity here to undertones of things like anti-Semitism, because, you know, traditionally in European folklore, the people stealing children were Jews. Um, so the whole all these fairy tales about, you know, like the evil witches in the forest and stuff have these like anti-Semitic themes to them. So it's not like upfront and in our face in this episode. But I think it is worth reflecting on, like, when we mine other cultures, but also when we mine, like, even, like, European cultures, we have to be aware of, like, where does this come from? And what are the potential problematic aspects of these fairy tales or myths or stories that we're taking and adapting? Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Yep, so true. So we cut to um, nighttime, and it's the initiative. The boys are suiting up because they don't care about dressing like civilians anymore because someone, people died. So Buffy's wandering the street. She chose a crossbow tonight. That's what she's chosen. (laughs) The worst weapon. Um, Riley, interestingly enough, walks by the clock tower and he sees shadows. (laughs) So he's like, something's up. And he he goes to like check it out. And I was like, he... In his head, he must be like, those white boy gangs up to no good again. (laughs) So I have a question. So they can't radio. 
but they're military, right? So they must know Morse code. So couldn't they do Morse code over their radios to communicate what they're doing? Well, surely Riley couldn't. He couldn't remember his code for the elevator. <laughs> Fair. So we, we get a close-up of Willow's room number on a post-it note. And the student directory and it's Tara. Tara has been collecting her things and she's leaving obviously to go to Willow's. And at this hour, Tara, it must be 2 a.m. She's walking across campus and she looks really freaked out. Uh, Yeah. Like, why are you leaving right now in the middle of the night during quarantine? You, this is unheard of behavior. So, she trips and she falls and the music stops. There was music playing earlier. It stops. And as she's collecting her things, we see, we hear jingling first. And then we see behind her, the gentlemen and their henchmen are approaching her. And it's so scary because she doesn't see them at first. And then when she finally turns around and sees them, it's like, nah! and she runs, she runs for it into um, one of the dorms nearby. So, oof, scary. So so Buffy is at the white picket fence area, and she also sees a gentleman, but then the henchmen start to jump her. So Tara is desperately knocking on doors within this dorm hallway. And a girl sits up in her bed, and she's like, oh, fuck no, obviously. Like, And here's, I have so many things to say about this. Number one, I'll add here that this is an Asian student. <laughs> have... The Asians not suffered enough in Sunnydale. Now they got to get their hearts ripped out by the gentlemen. Not only are they all the vampires and they're just trying to run their businesses. Um, so I'm glad this girl didn't answer the door. But number two, like if you, Car, if you were in this residence, if you were in this town and you knew that three people got their heart ripped out when because they were alone, would you sleep alone? Maybe that's why Tara is going to find Willow. Like I'm pretty sure all the students would band together, right? And, like, you would have, like, a buddy system going on here. So the gentlemen are floating closer and closer. So she keeps running. Buffy's beating up these henchmen, and she breaks one of their necks, but the other one runs off, so she follows it. Riley has entered the clock tower to check out the shadows, and he gets attacked by henchmen, too, and he pulls out a fighting stick, and they fight. And Tara's running upstairs, and she's knocking on doors, like, manically. And Willow is woken up, and she's at her desk and she hears it, but she, because she cannot speak her custom come in, <laughs> which she always <laughs> does, she doesn't know how to, what to do. So she approaches her door as she hears the knocking. But when the door that Tara's knocking on opens, oh shit, it's not Willow. It's one of the gentlemen holding a fresh heart. That scared me. I was like, that is actually a jump scare right there. So the other two gentlemen have caught up to her. Tara runs. Willow opens her door down the hall as Tara catches up to her, and she knocks her over and hurts her ankle in the process. So they both take off together. Um, Riley's fighting two henchmen, and the other one that Buffy's chasing runs into the clock tower. Buffy breaks through the boarded windows instead. Um, they're fighting and then they both have their crossbows out and then suddenly they're facing each other and they see each other and they're just like, what? <laughs> this is, this is the most iconic reveal, I think, in this like season, if not this whole series. Really? Like, just like. What about when Angel was a vampire? Eh, I'm over it. <laughs> that was three seasons ago. <laughs> like, yeah, like Buffy and Riley standing across from each other with their weapons being like, what? 
what do you mean you're also a superhero? Yeah, it's a big deal. And after the commercial break, they keep fighting each henchman. The leader's like, okay, let's just keep fighting independently. Um, at one point, Buffy swings on a rope and kicks one of the straitjacket guys across the room. And Riley's like, whoa. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, because at first, right, it's like, oh, maybe Buffy's just like playing at this, right? Like he doesn't know that she has super strength and all these abilities. And but he's actually he's seeing her fight, and because he is also trained, he knows what good fighting looks like. Yeah. So um we cut to Giles really quickly where he bumps into Spike, who's still at his house. Uh I don't what time is it at night? Very hard to tell. Um Spike has gone to the fridge to drink blood and he vamps out as he drinks it, and there's blood on his lips. And Anya has fallen asleep on the couch, and Spike drops something on the floor, so he bends over to get it. And as he's doing that, Xander enters the the Giles' front door. And from his point of view, Xander sees Anya's face, which her eyes are closed. She's asleep, but she looks dead. And <laughs> Spike's leaning over her with blood on his lips. So Xander automatically jumps to conclusions and thinks that Spike's feeding off of Anya, so he <laughs> runs over and starts wailing on Spike. I think he forgot that Spike is a chip. You know? Yeah, I, I mean, also, like, Xander is not, you know, the smartest. <laughs> he did pick up a phone earlier in this episode, yeah. right? <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. So, so um, when he realizes that Anya is alive, he, like, kisses her, like, really passionately. And then he looks at Spike and just, like, is like, eh, sorry, <laughs> my bad. And then keeps kissing Anya. And um, Giles and Olivia have come out now to, like, see what's going on. And Anya, I guess this is enough for her to know that, like, Xander cares because he, he's taken actions instead of words and he's shown that he cares for her and that's enough so she's like <laughs> she makes a hand gesture like oh, like you know let's go have sex <laughs> and Xander's like okay and they leave and again the look on Z Giles's face is fucking priceless where he's like oh my god <laughs> so question yeah does Olivia know about all this supernatural stuff does she know that Spike is a vampire because Giles sent Spike away when before she arrived. Spike is now apparently back at Giles's house and living there. He's getting blood from a mug in the fridge. Presumably, Olivia would have seen the blood mug. <laughs> like, did Giles write down this explanation of like, yeah, Spike is a 200-year-old vampire <laughs> that came to Sunnydale a couple of years ago and tried to kill Buffy, but then they teamed up, and then he left, and then he came back and tried to kill her again. Uh, but then he's being, like, psychologically and evilly neutered by some weird army commando guys. So he's fine, and he's just living with me. Like, it's hard enough to tell her this with your voice. Maybe he's like, here's a watcher's diary like for you to get caught up on. Um, Fair. It's, no, it's so true. And I think later they have a good conversation about that, where I think it does lead us to believe that he's been telling her this stuff, but she didn't really believe it. Um, and this might be the first time that she realizes that Spike is a vampire, but she's already seen the gentleman. So I, I just assume that she knows enough that this probably didn't shock her, but enough, but it's also enough for her to be like, Jesus, this really is all around you, like everything. So, so let's cut to Tara, uh, who's helping Willow run up the stairs and they go into a laundry room where, uh, like, uh, Doth my eyes deceive me, Kara? Like, the cold drink machine has made its way. It survived the Sunnydale explosion. Sunnydale high explosion. And has made it to the laundry room of UC Sunnydale. Could just be 
another version of that machine. No, no, it's the it's one. It's the, it's the but same one. But it is the one. spiritual successor, yes. <laughs> so it's too it's too heavy. We know it's heavy, but it's too heavy for Willow to, for them to move it physically. And Willow is on the ground now because her ankle hurts. And she tries to move it with her, like using her powers. But she can't. She's not strong enough. And Tara's watching her do this. And then Tara slowly takes Willow's hand. And they stare at each other and something is passing through them. Something um, probably intense, like we we think it's magic um they both immediately stare at the cold drink machine which moves it push is moved in front of the door saving them because now they are um safe inside there and they keep their hands keep touching because they obviously feel a connection there so i do want to say we're getting a lot of hot stakes about this keep them coming but steph and i are gonna take this discussion slowly because we you know, most people understand what's going on here, but for those people who are watching the show for the first time and listening to our podcast, we do our best to be spoiler-free. So we don't want to um, be premature in terms of how we discuss what's going on here because, yeah, we know what's happening, but we want people, we want this, to see this unfold. So if you're just kind of like, well, why didn't you talk more about this? Um we will. Don't worry. There are many episodes to come where we'll talk more about this. But I, I like the way you phrased it, Steph, which is they felt a connection. There's something going on here, you know, from the moment that Willow noticed Tara trying to speak in the Wicca group. And now the way that they helped each other uh, defend themselves. Something's going on. There's something magical in the air between these two. So... Riley and Buffy are still fighting. One of the henchmen runs upstairs, so Buffy follows it. Um, Buffy sees a jar of hearts, like, on the table, and um, she's fighting three henchmen now. And, oh, like, this actually surprised me. All the gentlemen are there. Like, I thought they were at UC Sunnydale chasing the witches, but they're not. Uh, they can probably move very fast when they want to. They can float super fast when they need to be, because they made the 8K trek back to the clock tower. And um, from what I can tell, they're still missing two hearts and one picks up a scalpel and it very slowly advances on Buffy <laughs> and um, it gets zapped it's zappity zapped by Riley's zappy machine it's like a force lightning machine <laughs> like Emperor Palpatine from Star Wars <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, it probably came from Riley's fingers as well <laughs> So, more fighting. Uh, one gentleman actually manages to slowly stab Buffy with a scalpel. <laughs> this is genuinely like a disturbing moment for me. Is it really? Because Buffy got stabbed well, by Arrow, it, the, the pangs. Yeah, but this is more surgical, mm. right? Like, the gentlemen know human anatomy. So, like, when he slides in that scalpel, it's like, I'm like, oh, did he, like, cut a nerve, right? Like, is he doing real, like, significant damage to Buffy? <laughs> But that's the thing. They never follow through with this, right? Like, she gets, she definitely gets stabbed by it. Yeah, she doesn't seem to be slowed down that much by it. At all. And this is like, this fight's going nowhere, clearly. And then while Buffy's getting choked by one of the henchmen, she sees the brown box and she recognizes it from her dreams. Good eyesight, too, Buffy, because that brown box is on a brown table in a <laughs> poorly lit clock tower. Right? I'd be looking at all the jars of hearts and be like, what the hell? I would never even notice that box and she gets riley's attention and she points at the box and riley comes over and in slow motion looks like he's gonna smash the box but then he smashes this jar of like purple powder right next to it and then he gives her the goofiest <laughs> look of pride he's like did i do I good did it. <laughs> and steph this is the moment when i'm like 
Riley Finn might be a himbo. You know, I've kind of been skeptical so far this season. I've been like, no, he he's himbo adjacent, but he's he's a little bit too intelligent for what I'd call a himbo. That look, Stan, that miscommunication, <laughs> the way that he smashed the wrong thing and then he looked at Buffy expecting cookies, that is big himbo energy. Yes, thank you so much. Because since I've met Riley, I've been saying it a couple times now. I'm like, are we sure? <laughs> I so want him to be. So I think, you know. Listeners, please weigh in. Riley, himbo, yay or nay? <laughs> Ooh, you should do a poll on Instagram. Oh, I'll do a poll, right? It's a it's a yay for me. Um, Buffy motions for the box, right? It's the box. And Riley smashes it. The voices are released and Buffy screams. And the gentlemen begin to convulse and their heads explode in green goop. And I don't know what happens to the henchmen. Uh, they just die, I guess. That was gross. And Buffy and Riley stare at each other. And this is interesting now, okay? Because... They're not coordinated yet. Like, we're, we're talking about how communication is the key, right? Um, Anya and Xander managed to communicate really well without speaking because Xander doesn't know how to express himself, so he did in his actions. Um, Willow and Tara made shit move with their minds, with their silent connection. And here's Buffy and Riley who aren't coordinated at all, <laughs> right? Like, like, like he made the mistake and smashed the wrong box or the, the jar, not the box first. And then in a couple scenes, we're going to see again, like how they're not really coordinated and not really communicating as well. So it's just interesting how they're depicting the different couples this way. So... The next morning in the student lounge, Tara and Willow are talking about how Tara was looking for Willow because she wanted to try a spell that they could use to make everyone talk again. And I was like, yeah, okay, Tara, because <laughs> just like Buffy went to LA to see her dad, <laughs> you know, like Tara, you don't travel in the middle of the night when people are getting murdered all over your town in an epidemic to do a spell that probably requires you to speak. <laughs> Sounds like a booty call to me, but you know what? We, you can just say that you wanted to do a spell. That's fine. Tara says that she's seen Willow in her Wicca group. And Willow says, how long have you been practicing? And Tara says, always, since I was little. My mom was too. She had a lot of power like you. And Willow says, I'm not. Like, I don't have much in the way of power, really. Most of my potions come out like soup. Besides, spells going awry, friends in danger, like all that stuff. Tara says, no, you are. Like, you are special, right? And they smile at each other. And I'm like, this is really sweet. This is nice that Willow's making a new connection, a new friend. Um... But I, I think what's really important to, to notice in this conversation is that Tara is validating Willow's power as a witch. And that's really all Willow has wanted from the people around her. Fear itself, when uh, Buffy was saying your spells don't come out the way you want it to, uh, Giles in something blue, right? Saying like, well, you can't really control your emotions when you do spells, like stuff like that, which is true, mind you. And even it goes back to season three when she was feeling insecure about her magic and how Giles didn't want her to go too far with it too fast. So here is Tara actually validating Willow's, you know, I said in the past, ego, but the fact that like she's mm -hmm. saying you, you are magical, you have really strong powers. And I recognize it because Tara, for lack of a better word, is a legacy witch. Like obviously her mother was a witch and now Tara is, but Willow is self-taught. So this is really interesting to me. Yeah, I also think that 
it's a different dynamic because now Willow is the one, like you said, with power and, and knowledge and Tara is looking up to her and Willow hasn't really had that before, right? It's always been Willow as Buffy's sidekick. So it, it, it's something, this is very new for Willow in so many ways. And I, I think you're right. So it'll be interesting to see as we go on how this relationship develops and the effect it has on how Willow practices magic. Mm-hmm. So we cut to Giles and Olivia who are cuddling on the couch. And Giles is like, this is your best visit ever. And Olivia's like, all the time that you used to talk, you used to talk to me about witchcraft and darkness and the like, I just thought you were being pretentious. Just like, oh, I was, but I was also right. And it was super hot when he said that. And Olivia says, everything you told me is true. And Giles is like, no, I wasn't actually one of the original members of Pink Floyd. Ha ha ha. But the monster stuff. Yes. And Olivia says, scary, right? And Giles says, too scary. And Olivia says, I don't know. And Giles looks really concerned. And like, to be honest, I don't know. If it, if it were me, like, I don't think that I would continue these weekend trips to Sunnydale if I saw the gentleman outside my window. I just, I don't think I would. This is a very sad scene. Yeah. You know, because it validates uh, something that Buffy was afraid of earlier in this episode, right? Which is, I want to tell Riley that I'm the Slayer, but it complicates things because he might not react well. And it just, it just so happens that he's a himbo military dude. <laughs> um, but, you know, this, this is the thing with Giles. Is Giles was up front with Olivia from the beginning. She didn't really believe it, but that was on her. He was up front from the beginning, but now that she's seen it, you know, and she's being honest with him, which I appreciate. This is good communication between two adults. But it is sad. It's sad, and it's almost like, did he communicate too much, you know? Um, no, because well, I don't think you he have did. to be honest, right? Yeah, yeah, I agree. Yeah. I don't think he did, but it did cost him Olivia from what it looks like. Okay, but you, you have to think, Steph. It's also costing Olivia Giles' dick. <laughs> She's losing out, too. <sighs> There's so much great dick loss in this season. <laughs> oh, no. Um that I mean, girl, it would be really hard to walk away from this awesome British dick in America, but uh, you're going to have to. I, I, w- I would. I would. It wouldn't be worth it to see a gentleman again. <laughs> so we got to Riley, who's entering Buffy's dorm room, and they, they say their highs, right? Um, and I, I wish that Riley had asked her about the scalpel wound. <laughs> like, how's your stab wound? Um, but just like Buffy's arm healed right up, in pangs before she got to LA. It's healed up overnight here too. And Riley sits on Willow's bed opposite Buffy and says, I guess we have to talk. And she sits down and she says, I guess we do. But no one talks. And the episode ends with the camera facing the two of them face to face on the beds saying nothing. And that's the end. So yeah, like again, like communication for everyone here is so key. I really love that we got such a great version of Tara and Willow communicating using their words in the last scene, but also silently. So they're really, really in sync right now. And I think that's really great to see. And then Anya and Xander got there (laughs) through action. And then Buffy and, and Riley aren't there yet. They have a lot more to talk about. So it's just interesting. I agree. Yeah. I think this episode, like I said, at the start of our recap, it, it really stands out because Everything comes together, all the different layers. Like you said, with communication, 
I really liked the physical acting in this episode. The score was beautiful. The monsters work. Uh, it's a standout episode. And it brings us to that final shot. And Buffy, the series, is very good at these closing shots. You know, I always think of Puppet Show and how there's the closing shot of Buffy and the friends on the stage doing the avant-garde play. <laughs> and then the, the title, the end card comes up and you hear Snyder's voice being like, I don't get it. <laughs> I love that. And it's the same thing here, right? It's Buffy and Riley facing each other. We don't get to hear that talk. We know what's happening. And, and that's very interesting, right, is the episode ends with their voices back, but then what they want to say to each other, we don't get to hear. Mm -hmm. It's a great ending point for the episode. It makes sense thematically with how Buffy and Riley's relationship has been developing. And it really kind of, it's a cliffhanger in a good way, right? We're kind of like wondering for the next episode, you know, where are they at, <laughs> right? Because they kissed... But then they found out some secrets about each other. And that's like, are, so do they still want to date? Does he still want to grade her papers, if you know what I mean? Um, and I guess we'll find out. And I actually want to be honest here and say the next couple of episodes, I'm not familiar with. In fact, from here on out, I'm not super familiar, except for your sporadic episode. I'm not familiar with the rest of the episodes of season four. I must have stopped my rewatches right around now. <laughs> um, so I'm curious to see where this goes with Buffy and Riley, um, with um, Ruffy, as I like to call them, because <laughs> I want to see them talk it out. And I want to hear what Buffy says about her destiny versus Riley's secret initiative. You know, like it's, it's actually really fascinating to me right now. Yeah. So who's your hero? Mm, tough one. There were lots of really good performances. I am going to go with, I think Tara, because she's not used to it like the rest of the Scoobies are, right? So she was exceptionally brave. And maybe her actions didn't affect anybody other than Willow. But what she did was heroic, right? And I want to recognize that. I can't agree with you. I think what she did was very unthought out. <laughs> to leave at midnight like that. Um, but no, you're, but in terms of her wanting to help, I see what you're saying. I'm going to give it to Giles because he got to prove once again that he is the librarian at his heart and he's a teacher and he got that awesome slideshow together to get the shit rolling, you know? And he solved it all in like one day. So there you go. Cool. <laughs> okay, let's get to our hot stakes. Our first hot stake is about something blue uh, and Willow. And it's from M. M says, I wish Willow would just get some therapy. I know it's so hard when the person you think is the love of your life uh, leaves and or hurts you. And as an autistic person, I relate to the big feelings that are hard to deal with. But Willow does not deal in healthy ways at all. And I think therapy might help push back her later story. So without getting into that later story, you know, I think this is interesting. And when I, got, when I saw this hot steak from M. I gave a tongue-in-cheek reply, which is, you're absolutely right, but please remember, Sunnydale had one licensed therapist, <laughs> Mr. Platt, uh, and he died. <laughs> yeah. R.I.P. Rest in peace, <laughs> Mr. Platt, <laughs> with a cigarette in his hand. But I think this is a good point, right? I think all the Scoobies could use therapy. I agree. I think there should be a mandatory therapist to every resident in Sunnydale. <laughs> Uh, but no, we've talked about this so much, how, how Willow just, she cannot cope 
She cannot cope with any negative feelings, and she always leans into her magic to help her out, whether it works for her or not. And it's not good. And Buffy was so good with her. As much as we were saying they're not there for her the way they should be, she was really good to Willow in Something Blue to say, you have to deal with the pain. You'll get through it. It'll take a long time. It sucks, but you have to deal with it. And you have to let it hit you and live through it. And that's growing up, right? Mm-hmm. So thanks, Em. Um, our next hot stakes from Jasmine, who says that thi- who's talking about Hush. And she says, this episode has the most unique and scary monster of season four and quite possibly the whole series. The gentleman scared me the most during my first watch and quite honestly to this day. They're Joker-like grins and the fact that they float has always stuck out to me. Also, every actor has to act their ass off due to their being mostly no dialogue, which forces the audience to pay attention or they will miss the entire plot. Good point. Yeah, very good point. The gentleman... They hold up. Yeah, right? they hold like, up. Yeah. This episode, you know, you could... And I think I've said this before, but you could show this episode to somebody who hasn't watched Buffy and they'd still get a lot out of it. It's it's not so much a standalone episode. It's just like an interesting, like we said at the beginning, experiment. But um, it does push the story along. For season four, like like I said, I'm intrigued to see mm-hmm. where this conversation between Riley and Buffy are going to go. Um, and also, we've introduced a really important new character. So thanks, gentlemen. <laughs> <laughs> Our final hot stake is from Lita, who says, I'm watching uh, a couple ahead and have gotten to Hush, one of the best episodes. This is my first rewatch since becoming interested in the history of magic and incorporating magic into everyday life. I know the Wiccan group's idea for a bake sale is played for a laugh as a sign that they are wannabe witches, not interested in real magic. But baking is actually a totally legitimate way of doing spell work. Ingredients like lavender or chamomile in cakes or teas promote calm and rest. Rose petals and rose water can be used in cocktails and cookies for self-love. And many pagan holidays center baking with seasonally appropriate and magically relevant ingredients. So an empowering lemon bundt lemons are often used for cleansing negative energy, sounds not only delicious, but also like the type of subtle, unflashy magic that has thrived for millennia. I loved this hot steak. It's so true. And back in the day, um, what we would call now witches were actually like the midwives and the doctors of their villages, right? And they would bake these types of things that would make people feel better or help them in some way, whether they felt ill or to help them rest or feel calm. So it's so true. And that's, and like, I didn't really think it was funny that they were saying the bunt cake. Um, I think it just goes to show how ignorant Joss Whedon and the writers are to that type of um, tradition. Yes, I agree. But I also think part of Lita's point here too, is that Willow as a character is pushing aside that unsubtle, less flashy magic in favor of the more intense, more dramatic magic. Because as we've discussed in the previous season, Willow's attraction to magic is perhaps unhealthy. Mm. Um, you know, so, so maybe she should step it back. Maybe she should do some baking. Yeah, Willow, maybe spend a little more time in the kitchen. Or she could get baked with Buffy's mom. Damn. I miss Joyce. Uh, Where has been Joyce? We miss you so much. Please come back as a full-time character. (laughs) 
Oh, Thanks, dear. everyone, for your hot steaks. We love them. They help. They help round out our episodes. They help ease Steph's pain as she continues to think about I will remember As you. I continue in my grief, these really help me out <laughs> week by week. And thank you, everybody, <laughs> for supporting us on Buy Me a Coffee, especially our chosen ones, Lizzie, Emma, Hannah, Taza, Alexandra, Kyle, Kayla, Destiny, Brady, Erica, Justin, Allison, Lena, and Chase. All our people. Thank you so much. We'll see you guys next week. Bye. Thanks for listening to Prophecy Girls. If you want and can afford to donate, head over to buymeacoffee.com slash prophecygirls for one-time and monthly options. We appreciate all of your support, even if it's just spreading the word about us or enjoying our show week by week. We also invite you to join in the discussion by messaging us on our social media channels. Follow us at Prophecy Girls Podcast on TikTok, Instagram, and Facebook, and prophecy underscore girls on Twitter. You can also email us at prophecygirlspodcast at gmail.com or visit our website, prophecygirls.ca, where you can find the link to our Discord. Praise Moloch! See you next week!